0: There's a movie from the 90s that uh, has always been kind of one of my favorites. It's a story of a pig who thinks he's a sheepdog. A pig who thinks he's a dog. The movie is called Babe. Anybody seen that movie before? All right, we got a few of you. That's great. So Babe is a young pig who comes to live on the farm of Arthur Hoggett. Farmer Hoggett quickly discovers that this kind, gentle pig has a special way with his sheep. And he begins to train the pig to compete in national sheepdog trials. And what ensues is both ridiculous and delightful at the same time. The sheep despise the farmer's sheepdogs. All right, so he's got these great uh, sh- sheepdogs that are, you know, trained and, you know, the top of the line dogs. And the sheep hate them. Because they hurl insults at them and they boss them around and they scream and yell and that's how they get the sheep to do what they want them to do, just by terrifying them and sort of trying to force them uh, to do what they want. But Babe is well-mannered and he provides gentle guidance to the sheep who are more than happy to oblige this polite little pig and follow him wherever he leads. Now to Farmer Hoggett, of course, all of this looks very mysterious and strange, there are long moments of silence where the pig and the sheep seem to just be kind of looking at one another, and then all of a sudden the sheep begin following Babe wherever he goes. It's like they only heed his voice, and when he calls to them, they follow because they trust him. You know, that's a little bit like what Jesus is going to say to us in John chapter 10. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you to turn to John 10. And this story of a pig and the voice of the pig that the sheep would recognize and the sheep heard it and they trusted him and so they followed him is a little bit like the metaphor, the analogy that Jesus is going to give to us in John chapter 10. Now I'd remind you uh, of what occurred last week in John 9 where Jesus healed a man who had been born blind. He restored his sight miraculously. Uh, And then the Pharisees questioned the man because they didn't believe that it really happened and that he was really blind and now he could see. And he said, no, it's true. He told me to go wash mud off my eyes in the river and now I can see. And so then they questioned the man's parents. They said, well, surely this guy wasn't really blind. And the parents said, no, actually that's that's our son and he was blind from birth. And then they questioned the guy again. And he says, I don't know about all these details and who Jesus is and all that, but one thing I do know I used to be blind, and now I can see, which is such a great little description of our personal testimony. We all have a now I can see story. Anyone who has met Jesus and been transformed by faith in him knows I used to be blind, and now I can see. There's a a story in there in each of our lives. And so the, the man formerly blind declares again, I used to be blind, but now I can see because of this Jesus. And so they kick him out of the temple uh, they kick him out of the church, and uh, Jesus comes and finds him. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man said, if you tell me who he is, I will believe. And so Jesus says, you have seen him, right? I who am speaking to you am he. And so he says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Now, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, these are the guys with the, the power in, uh, in the Jewish society, uh, and they're kind of the leaders of the religion and the the temple offerings and all these things, the teachers of the law, they overhear this conversation with Jesus. And they say, wait a minute, are you saying that we are blind? And Jesus said, if you were, not, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. In other words, because you think you have no need of me, you have no need of grace and mercy and forgiveness, you are without, your guilt remains because you won't receive it. If you would just look and see your own need and admit your brokenness and come to me in faith and, uh, and trust, I would heal you. I would restore you. I would, be, I would give you mercy. So I want you to notice that there is no break between chapter nine and 10. He continues speaking, truly, truly, I say to you. And so this is a part of the very same conversation that he's just been having. All right. So we're not in a new setting. This is the very same scene. He's healed the blind man. The blind man has believed in him. And he is now telling the Pharisees that they are blind, essentially. They are spiritually blind. And he's going to go on uh, and uh, introduce a, a metaphor, a sustained metaphor about sheep and shepherding and pastures and thieves that will continue really throughout John chapter 10. At first, he gives no explanation. He just sort of shares this mysterious analogy. So let's read the first six verses of John chapter 10, where Jesus just lays out this metaphor, if you will. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. what he was saying to them. So Jesus commonly spoke in parables and these kind of stories or metaphors that represented some kind of spiritual truth. And a lot of times Jesus did this precisely because they were kind of mysterious. And there would be people in the audience who would hear it and understand it and think, I see myself in that story. And so they would they would come to him in faith, and they would believe. But then there are others who would hear these stories, and it just doesn't make any sense. And they think, this is ridiculous. And so Jesus, even in his parables and his metaphors, divides people by how they will respond to his teaching, whether or not they have spiritual ears, if you will, to understand what Jesus is saying. So Jesus lays out this metaphor of a sheepfold and a shepherd, and a door, and robbers, and thieves, okay? He doesn't say yet what all of that is, but what you have to have in mind is the, the basic reality that, of course, in this day, and in this culture, and in, uh, in Middle Eastern cultures even to this day, shepherding is, uh, is a way of life. Shepherding is a very uh, skilled and noble profession, uh, and, uh, and so these shepherds would would care for their sheep and really guard them with their very lives. And Jesus, in fact, will will go that direction a little bit later in John chapter 10. We probably won't get there today. But shepherds were were passionately concerned about the welfare of their sheep. And so the sheep would would be in a sheep fold, which is like a basically a pin, kind of a, a wall Sometimes they, it was up against like a, a cliff, the wall of a cliff. Sometimes it actually b- backed up to a giant ravine, like the edge of a cliff where they, wouldn't, they couldn't go any further. And there was only one entrance into that sheepfold. There was, there was one doorway where the sheep could go in and out. And the shepherd himself or a, a doorkeeper that he had hired would stand guard at that door. And so Jesus says there uh, in verse 2, that the one who enters the, door, uh, the sheepfold by the door is the shepherd, all right? So he's the one who has the authority to be there. He's the one who cares about the well-being of the sheep and will protect them. But, as he said in the first verse, anyone who enters, uh, who climbs in by another way, doesn't come through the door, but maybe he finds a side that he can climb over, is a thief and a robber. The only people that would come into the sheepfold by a way other than the door is someone who intended harm. Someone who was going to steal a sheep or, uh, or a, a predator of some kind who would eat the sheep. All right, that, The only people or beasts that would come over the sheep wall would be someone who intended it harm. And so the door is the only authorized entrance and exit, if you will, for these sheep. And the shepherd had such a relationship with his sheep and a special call that he would do that the sheep recognized his voice. And so when he gives this special call, they would come to him and they would follow him. And he even says he doesn't lead them from behind or like pushing them. He goes before them and they follow him. That's how the shepherd would lead his sheep during this time. So we already get the idea that he's speaking of spiritual realities, although he hasn't spelled it all out yet. But of course, his audience, these Pharisees, the ones trained in the law, the ones who have it all together, they don't get it. They think this is ridiculous. What is he talking about? So, mercifully, Jesus is going to do a little bit of explaining. And the explanation is either going to confirm the spiritual uh, understanding that somebody is already prone to have, because they, he- they can tell that there's a spiritual reality being sown here. And so when he gives the explanation, it will click. Or it's going to make him look even crazier. It's going to go, okay, you're talking about sheep and shepherds and robbers and all this stuff. And then Jesus is going to make some explanations of it. And those who don't have ears to hear are going to be even more inclined to think, this guy is nuts, right? It's the classic, Jesus is either a lunatic or a liar or he's Lord, right? That C.S. Lewis kind of put forward in those three things. So he continues down this pathway and people are either going to think, this man is a lunatic or he really is who he says he is. He really is the son of God. So he's going to tell us in verses 7 and 8 that Jesus himself is the door. So of that sheepfold, the door, that one authorized entrance in and out of the sheepfold, he himself is that door. Look in verses 7 and 8. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, and when he says truly, truly, he means pay attention. I mean this. For real. All right? Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. This sounds a bit like what Jesus will say in just a few chapters in John chapter 14. When he tells the disciples that he's going to go away, speaking of course of his resurrection and then ascension back into heaven. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And one of the disciples says, well, how can we know where you're going? How can we get to the Father with you? And Jesus says in John 14:6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes no apologies about this boldly exclusive claim to life this boldly exclusive claim to one and only one pathway to God, and it is him. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. If you want to come to the Father, you want to worship God, you've got to come through me. You've got to worship me. You've got to believe in me. And he's expressing that very same truth with this metaphor of a sheepfold and a door. When he says, I am the door, what he's saying is, Nobody gets into my sheepfold, right? My sheep, the people that I protect, that I care for, that I call, the ones I'm responsible for, nobody comes into that sheepfold except by coming through the door. That's me. That's Jesus. And so when he said anybody else who comes in a different way is a thief and a robber, then he says very plainly in verse 8, Any, everyone who came before me is a thief and a robber. Who do you think he's referring to? He's talking to these Pharisees, these religious leaders, who strap all of these heavy burdens of law and obedience and requirements and restrictions around people. He says, you've got to live up to this. You've got to follow all these standards in order to be acceptable to God. So when Jesus says, the ones who came before me were thieves and robbers, he's calling their number. He's looking at them. And he's saying, you are thieves and robbers. You intend harm to my sheep. You have not faithfully shepherded the people of Israel, the the, the people of God. You have not faithfully shepherded them. In Matthew 7, verse 13, Jesus said this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. The wide gate to destruction, to death, to eternal separation from God. Many find that gate. It's easy. It's wide. It's natural. That's what we're inclined to do, right? In our sin, in our rebellion against God, we want what we want and we want it now and nobody can tell me otherwise. I define reality for myself. I do what I want. That's a wide gate and it leads to destruction and many enter it. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. It's tragic truth that those who find true life, those who find eternal hope, those who enter the sheepfold, if you will, and find the protection and the provision of God through Jesus Christ are comparably few. To those who find this wide gate and enter this wide gate that leads to destruction. And so Jesus sets himself up as the only true pathway to God. And he calls the Pharisees, the robbers and, and thieves, essentially false shepherds. Look in verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. I want you to consider a passage in the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel. Um, In fact, this will come into play a bit next week or the week after, um, where we see Jesus interacting uh, during the festival of Hanukkah, called the Festival of Lights. Uh, Because a part of the Hanukkah liturgy for the Jewish people comes from Ezekiel chapter 34, and it's about shepherding. It's about faithful and unfaithful shepherds in, uh, in the, the people of Israel, in their nation. And in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 6, we get this picture of an unfaithful shepherd. Leaders of God's people who have led them astray, who have not faithfully guided and protected them. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. This is an indictment in the prophet Ezekiel, a few hundred years before Christ is on the scene, calling out the leaders of Israel who had led the people astray led them perhaps to worship false gods in many times, led them to make unholy alliances with, uh, with idol-worshiping nations and people that did not uh, worship the true God. And so this is a, a prophetic uh, call against these false shepherds. And Jesus essentially makes that same charge against the Pharisees in this day the ones who are in charge of the law, the ones who are in charge of temple worship, the ones who are leading the people of Israel at this time, he is saying, you have been unfaithful shepherds. You are like a thief and a robber. And I think this has implications for us today as well. Because we need to think about what leaders we're willing to hear. What leaders we will give credit to and trust. Gary Burge says, The final test of a shepherd's credentials is his or her fidelity to the leadership of Jesus. When someone makes a claim on the sheep, when a new voice emerges over the horizon, the first question we should ask is whether this voice echoes the voice of Jesus we know in the scriptures. To someone who had claimed to be a leader of God's people, to speak for God, we need to make sure... That what they are saying, and how they are leading, and how they are living, points us back to Jesus. Points us back to the voice of Christ in the Scriptures. The voice that says, come to me, ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not the voice that straps on another ton of obedience and law and requirements and says, do that if you want to measure up. That's a thief and a robber. Leaders who don't lead us toward the truth of Jesus and the gospel are simply not to be trusted. They're robbers and thieves. And we need to be sure that we pay close attention to what comes from the mouths and lives of our leaders. But even though Jesus said that these Pharisees are thieves and robbers, he says in the second part of that verse that the sheep didn't listen to them. He says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. In other words, the true sheep, the people who truly belong to me, know that the voice of these false shepherds is not right. They know that the teaching that comes from their mouths and the lives that they live and their leadership does not point back to Christ and it's false and ought not to be trusted. Those who truly belong to Jesus' fold, if you will, don't listen to the voice of these false shepherds. And I think he's pointing back to kind of a mysterious reality that he talked about in John chapter six, where in verse 37, he said, all that the father has given to me Will come to me. So Jesus speaks of a group of people, a group of sinners who God has gifted to Jesus as his own, as his people. And so when he says, Those who are mine will not follow the voice of the false shepherd, they will come to me. They know my voice. They will come when I call them. He's essentially saying, The ones that God has entrusted to me as his people, they know. They recognize the truth. They recognize my voice and they follow. Who are we listening to? What leaders do you trust? What voices do you allow into your mind and heart? We need to exercise discernment in the voices that we choose to hear. And we need to make sure that, we are, that, that they are leading us toward Christ and Him alone. Faith in Jesus. Jesus in my place. I couldn't do it, so Jesus did it for me. That is the gospel. And we need to make sure that those who are speaking to us, those who have our ear, are telling us the truth. Are telling us who we are in Christ. Who we are now that he has rescued and redeemed us. So everyone who came before me is a thief and a robber. But the true sheep, the ones who belong to me, don't listen to them. Verse 9. He says again, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And I think those are two sides of the same coin saved has to do with the safety of the sheepfold. Because the sheepfold is where the shepherd would, would lead the sheep to spend the night. And he would stand guard at the door to make sure that no predators from the outside would come in and do them harm. Because you have to, something that we don't often consider because of the world and the culture and the, the geography that we live in, is that the desert is a dangerous place. The desert is a harsh environment. The elements are harsh, just weather, lack of water, the cold at night and heat during the day. The elements themselves are harsh. And then there are all manner of wild beasts that would love to devour a sheep. And so a shepherd has to be skilled and on guard at all times in order to find water. And a sheep couldn't drink running water. It would like drown in it or fall into it. So the, sh- the shepherd had to figure out a way to dam a creek or a stream to make basically a pool of still water. In Psalm 23, the kind of most classic, most well-known uh, passage about shepherding, that's where it says, you lead me beside still waters. It's because the shepherd has crafted and created a pool of still water where the sheep can safely drink. It takes a skilled shepherd to find pasture and enough food for the sheep to eat and to keep the flock safe at night from the predators that might come to it. So it's a dangerous landscape. So when Jesus says that those who enter by the door will be saved, he's essentially talking about being safe from the dangers of the landscape around them, the dangers of perhaps the false teaching that might come to them, the false burden that would be laid on them to measure up. To fulfill the law. But I think if you think about our own sort of cultural, spiritual, political climate, the landscape of our lives, I think you can see some parallel dangers. It's a dangerous place, a dangerous world to live as one of Jesus' sheep. It's a dangerous landscape. God and his ways are often ridiculed in our world. And those who believe that the Bible is true, those who hold to, uh, his, to the teachings of Christ, certainly even this exclusive claim of Jesus himself that he's the only way to get in, is considered not just ridiculous, but arrogant and rude. And so God and his ways are ridiculed in our world. So to hold these beliefs and to claim tr- the, the Bible is true and these things is to really open yourself up to uh, attack and, and hostility from those around us. The world we live in is a is a morally relative place. So moral relativism says, basically, what's right for me might not be right for you. And what's right in one situation might not be right in another. It's a little bit like Elsa in uh, the song, Let It Go. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free, right? That's what she says in that song. Cute song. It's a really nice song. But think about the words, okay? All right. So that's what people think of as freedom. Freedom means I got no rules. I do whatever I want. I define my own reality. That's not, that's not the way that, that God's word says it. God's word tells us that God had some things in mind when he created the world and he created people and he created us in certain ways. He created us male and female in his image. And he had a purpose for us to know him and to be in relationship with him and to care for the world that he made. But That's not the way that our culture is. That's not the way that our world thinks. Our world thinks, I am totally and completely autonomous. In other words, I govern my own life. I set my own rules. What's right for me is right, period. And you can do what you want and leave me alone. That's a dangerous landscape for those who hold to absolute claims on truth and reality. It's not well accepted in our day and time. We are surrounded by godless entertainment. We have, speaking of worship and like what we value most, if this culture does not worship entertainment, I don't know what it worships. Because oh my goodness, the amount of money and time and energy that goes into creating films and shows and music and all manner of forms of art. And I'm not saying art is bad. I love art. And I think entertainment even can be good and and okay. So I'm not like drawing this hard line and saying you shouldn't ever pursue any entertainment, but think about what is in the entertainment. Think about what we receive today as like, yeah, this is cool. This is fun. This is good to watch. And imagine Jesus sitting with you. You know, would Jesus be cool with me watching this show or clicking on that link or listening to that song? I don't know, right? So again, I'm not laying down lines and rules for you. I think we all have to follow the Holy Spirit and our consciences in those questions. But just the sheer fact of how much filth there is out there in the name of entertainment, in the name of pleasure, in the name of just passing time, uh, it's pretty scary to think about. It's a dangerous landscape to hold to absolute truths. It's a dangerous landscape to hold to even a basic form of morality as, as the scriptures teach us. And then when you just think about the plain suffering and hardships and trials that come into our lives that aren't necessarily the result of any particular sin, life is just hard. And Jesus promised that. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's the summary of the gospel, right? You're going to have trouble in this life. It ain't going to be easy. It ain't going to be smooth sailing, but I've overcome it. So if you'll place yourself in me by faith, you'll overcome it too. It won't be the end of you. But life is hard. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's what the scriptures tell us. So it's a dangerous place and we need a skilled shepherd to lead us to safety in the sheepfold. So If you think of the sheep in their sheepfold, protected from predators and attacks from the outside, that is the people of God saved from the sin and the corruption that entangle and that are not just outside of us, but inside us. Because if we're honest, that sin and brokenness is there with us all the time. But here's the thing, the sheep can't stay in the sheepfold. That's just where they sleep. That's where they spend the night. That's where they find safety. What they need is pasture and water. What they need is food and nourishment. Going back to that passage in Ezekiel, we have the, other, the opposite uh, kind of leadership described for us in verses 11 through 16 of, of Ezekiel 34. He's already denounced the, the false shepherds, the unfaithful shepherds. Now, in verse 11 through 16, it says this For thus says the Lord God Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. So, God Himself will be their shepherd. God Himself will seek out His own and gather them and save them and protect them. But not just that, He'll lead them to pasture. He'll lead them to rich pastures and still waters, and they will have life. They will have everything that they need. And so, I think those two sides of the same coin, where Jesus says, Those who enter by the door will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Knowing Jesus is the only way to find fulfillment, satisfaction, provision. How often do we look somewhere else for that? wonder if you tend to look to something else for your satisfaction or to be fulfilled or have that sense of, of meaning in your life. Maybe it's a relationship. That you almost idolize. A, relation, a particular relationship that you think of is so important. This is what's going to fulfill me. Maybe it's food. You're comforted by food. Maybe it's entertainment that we've already talked about. Maybe it's a sense of achievement. Right? My advancement at work. People respect me there. I have this reputation. So that's where I find my sense of completeness. Or my sense of. Fulfillment. It could be any number of things, but there will always be temptations to find our identity and to find our satisfaction and our fulfillment in something other than in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the truth is, the only way that we'll find pasture, that we'll find still water, is to follow Jesus. It's to know Jesus. It's communion with God through faith. And this leads us to the final verse that we'll discuss today and and one of the most beautiful uh, promises and well-known promises in all the scriptures. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The going in, in and out, going in and out, finding pasture, that's a picture of abundant life. The sheep who knows his shepherd. The sheep who knows he is safe from the dangers around him. The sheep who knows he has everything that he needs in pastures and in still waters is the sheep who's living the abundant sheep life. Right, That's the best life a sheep could possibly live. Jesus says that if you come to God through me, if you recognize me as your shepherd, If you'll follow me, if you'll trust me, if you'll know me, you'll have abundant life. Not just life, but life abundantly. That means full. That means complete. That means spilling over. That's the kind of life Jesus wants us to have. Now, please don't read this verse and think that means God wants me to get rich. Because believe me, even this week in preparing for this message, I saw videos where preachers say that's exactly what this is. Jesus wants you to have the abundant life. That means if you trust him, he'll give you that new car. He'll give you that fancy house. You'll never be sick. That's the kind of trash that is out there and proclaimed in the name of Christ. That's false. That's not abundant life. Abundant life isn't health and wealth and prosperity, and everything that I've ever imagined and dreamed of, that's not abundant life. Because think about some of the people that you know or that you've seen in, your, in, in the world who have everything. Are they happy? Are they fulfilled? Are they living abundant life? I don't think so. I don't think so. Abundant life is not having everything you've ever wanted to have, and more abundant life is knowing Christ, abundant life is following Christ in faith. He says later in John seventeen verses three and four, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what life is. Life is we are reconnected to God in relationship because Jesus paid the penalty that we couldn't pay. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live and he took our sins upon himself to make us right with God again and he rose from the dead to defeat death and hell and to say that anyone who comes to me will not just live now and not just live abundantly now but will live forever in my very presence. That's life. That's why John wrote this gospel. John 20, 31. I've written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have what? You may have life. It's right there. You may have life in his name. That's why Jesus came. The thief, the false teachers, the false shepherds of Israel, they are out to destroy. They are out to lead astray. They are out for their own power and their own glory. But I came, says Jesus, I came that the sheep would find life, and life abundantly. In Psalm 1, the very first of the book of Psalms, we have this beautiful picture of the one who delights himself in God's word. Verses 1-3 through of Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Here's a description of the one who delights himself in God's word. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The abundant life that Jesus came to bring is the life that is reconnected to its purpose. Because you were created by God with a purpose. God had something in mind when he made you, when he brought you to life. God had a plan and a purpose for you and for your life. That you would reflect his glory. That you would know him. That you would go in and out and find pasture, so to speak, and be provided for and have everything that you need in your heart because of Him. That's the kind of life that he intends for you to live. I love the way that this hymn expressed it that we sang just a few minutes ago. One of the verses of Greatest Thy Faithfulness just kind of lists blessings that are ours through Christ. Pardon for sin and a peace that endures. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. God's present with us. He's in our lives with us all the time. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine, with 10,000 beside. I could list 10,000 more reasons and things, blessings that are ours through Christ. But just to think about the, the ways that God loves us, the ways that God provides for us, the ways that He protects us, the ways that He expresses His personal care for us in our lives is a beautiful thing. So Jesus would warn us to be sure that the voices we're listening to are reminding us of the truth, are reminding us of who He is and ultimately of who we are in Him. Because Jesus took our sins, because Jesus rose again, He is now inviting us into a relationship with Him. I'm the door. If anyone will come through me, if anyone enters by the door, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. Friends, that's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what experiences you've had in your life. I don't know where you stand in relationship to Christ or in your mind or your understanding of yourself or whatever. Whatever brokenness you're you're carrying with you because we all carry it. None of us has got this thing all down. None of us has got this all together. We all have brokenness. Some of it's more visible than others. Some of us hide it better than others, but we've all got brokenness. The gospel is bring it. Bring the brokenness. Bring it with you. You don't have to get it fixed before you come in. Bring the brokenness. Trust in Christ and let him take care of it. Let him help you. Let him walk with you in that brokenness and perhaps find healing and hope and peace and life. And that invitation is available to each of us to every one of us if we will simply receive him by faith.